0: Good morning, this is Democracy Appalled on February 20th, 2023, and I'm your host, Rohan Mova, live from WWPRAM every Monday at 5 a.m. Eastern. This show is all about democracy. This is Democracy Appalled. Throughout the show, if you have any questions about democracy, send us an email at democracyappalled at gmail.com. and we'll bring that topic in our next week's session. Remember, that email is democracyappalled at gmail.com. Let's take a look at our outline for this week's show. Today we'll be honoring President's Day by discussing its relevance, major accomplishments of each president, and more. We'll also be doing a deep dive into the history of democracy and the evolution of its principles, and looking into the democratization process in Libya. All right, let's get into it. President's Day, wishing you all a happy and safe President's Day. What is President's Day? President's Day is a federal holiday in the United States that is celebrated on the third Monday in February. It was originally established to honor the birthday of the first president of the United States, George Washington, but it has since evolved to also celebrate the accomplishments of all U.S. presidents. The history of President's Day dates back to the late 1700s, when George Washington was serving as the first president of the United States. His birthday, February 22nd, was celebrated as a holiday in his honor. And it became an official federal holiday in 1879. The holiday was initially called Washington's birthday, and it was celebrated on his actual birthday, February 22nd. But in the 1960s, there was a movement to create a holiday to honor all U.S. Presidents, and this led to the passage of the Uniform Monday Holiday Act in 1971. This law established several federal holidays, including Presidents' Day, to be celebrated on the third Monday in February. This new holiday was intended to provide a long weekend for American workers and to promote tourism and retail sales. Since the establishment of President's Day, it has since become a day to celebrate the accomplishment and legacies of all U.S. presidents. In addition to George Washington, President's Day also recognizes the achievements of other notable presidents, including Abraham Lincoln, Franklin Delano Delano Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy. Whoever your favorite president is, you can celebrate them on President's Day because it's there to honor them. Presidents' Day is observed in many, many ways across the countries. You know, some communities hold parades, festivals, and other events to celebrate the holiday. I know in my community we're doing a we're doing a small little festival, you know, get-togethers, barbecues, all that sort of good stuff, you know. And there's always the businesses trying to take advantage. You know, if you're a business, this is a great weekend to offer special sales, and many do. You see many people going to the outlet malls, many people going to the, the regular malls, all these stores. You know, they offer all these special sales and promotions in honor of The special holiday that is President's Day. Uh, You may see, I mean, you see 50% off, 30% off. It's a win, 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 win. You know, the consumer gets a win, the business gets a win, the American people get a win. It's a holiday. It's it's a win, win, win. It's a nice day. Uh, The importance of President's Day, however, lies in its celebration of the leadership and contributions of the men who have held the highest offices in the United States. By honoring the achievements of presidents, we recognize the impact that their decisions and actions have had on the course of American history. We also reflect on the qualities of leadership and character that are necessary for individuals who hold off the office of the presidency. Now, I intern at a state representative's office and it is so cool and interesting to see all the different intricacies that go into just getting one bill signed, one legislation passed. It is so important uh, what, the, what their job does and we may not agree with their politics all the time, but man, do they work hard for us. You know, I think it's important to recognize that in some aspect. And I think presidency is a great aspect that recognizes the different qualities of leadership and character that are necessary for the individuals who hold the office of the presidency. You know, it, it honors this. Day celebrates the achievements of, you know, all the achievements of the United States truly, you know, because... The presidents are a reflection of the United States and our people, our people's voice, our government. So presidency is honoring the presidents of the United States that have put in the sacrifice. But I also think it's it's honoring the American people, the American people's voice, the strength of America, the evolution of America, and all the values that make us a more perfect union. From our founding fathers to our most recent leaders, each of them have left a mark on our country and have contributed to the ongoing story that is America, the United States of America. While we may have our differences in politics, it's important to remember that the principles that our nation was founded upon, freedom, equality, and democracy. And it's through the leadership of our presidents that we have continued to uphold these values and strive towards a more perfect union. You know, let's use this day to reflect on their legacy, our American legacies, and recommit ourselves to those great values that make our country the best. Now, let's go through each president and see what did this president do? First president, George Washington, he served as the commander in chief of the Continental Army during the American Revolutionary War and oversaw the drafting and adoption of the United States Constitution. Second president, John Adams, You know he successfully negotiated peaceful resolution to the quasi war with France and signed the Alien and Sedition Acts. They were uh, controversial, to say the least, and they were aimed at curbing the criticism of the government. You know, I'm not exactly on board with that. Freedom is important. You know, maintaining the values of you know what our country was founded upon. You know, freedom, equality. And I don't think the Alien and Sedition Acts promote the freedom of speech, equality, um, so on. So, but still, second president, big accomplishments, uh, big things done. Next. Thomas Jefferson, third president, Thomas, Big T.J., he authored the Declaration of Independence and completed the Louisiana Purchase. You know, this doubled the size of the United States. It is this Louisiana Purchase. It cannot be talked about enough. I mean, Manifest Destiny um, wouldn't have been achieved, you know, our ocean to ocean wouldn't have been achieved as quickly as it did without uh, Thomas Jefferson and his bold authority to go ahead and do that. You know, him with Lewis and Clark and all that sort of good stuff, you know. Next, fourth president, James Madison. He led the United States through the War of 1812, during which the country successfully defended itself against the British invasion and solidified its independence. Next, fifth, fifth president of the United States, James Monroe. He issued the Monroe Doctrine, which asserted American dominance in the Western Hemisphere and warned European powers against further colonization in the Americas. Basically, he said, You know the west is our side america south america you you let us control this half we won't bother you in europe you take care of your problems there we'll take care of our problems there you don't interfere here we won't interfere there so that's what he said and i think james monroe if i'm not wrong he was one of the very very young people um during the time when they were getting the constitution ratified writing it declaration of independence all that sort of stuff i know he was quite involved and i'm pretty sure he was very young like maybe my age, around like 18, 19, 20, something around that. And it's it's crazy to see someone that young with that much um, intelligence, prowess, looking into the future, you know, centuries ahead and being a key part in the founding of this country and the values that continue to make us uh, the greatest country. Next, uh, the sixth president of the United States, John Quincy Adams. He successfully negotiated the Treaty of Ghent to end the war of eighteen twelve and advocated for the abolition of slavery through his effort though, you know, his efforts were largely unsuccessful during his presidency. You know, as we know, slavery didn't get abolished till a little bit later. Um, so uh good for him for trying though. You know, next, Andrew Jackson, seventh president of the United States. He led the charge against the second bank in the United States, resulting in the establishment of numerous state chartered banks and paving the way for a more decentralized banking system number eight martin van buren he had a he had a nice haircut. i liked his, how his hair looked he had um he had uh some hair on the sides and not too much on the top uh he had a little funny haircut. you know you guys should search it up um i liked his hair it was a little funny um anyways you know he established the independent treasury system which separated the federal government from the banking system and was aimed at preventing future financial crises. Number nine, William Henry Harrison. You know, he died just one month into his presidency. So he didn't have a notable accomplishment during his time in office. Now, it's it's sad, but it was just one month into his presidency. Number 10, John Tyler. He annexed Texas into the United States, and he expanded the country's territory and increased tensions between North and South over the issue of slavery. So was it super good? Was it not? You know, I think, you know, he... Um, there were some tensions that started flaring between him, you know, Mexico, United States, um, all that sort of stuff during John Tyler. You know, Number 11, James K. Polk. He successfully negotiated the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo to end the Mexican-American War and acquire California and other Western territories for the United States. Number 12, Zachary Taylor. He died just 16 months into his presidency. So he did not have a notable accomplishment during his time in office. But that was much longer than William Henry Harrison had in his time in office. Um, Number 13, Millard Fillmore. He signed the Compromise of 1850, which attempted to resolve the issue of slavery in the new territories and temporarily ease tensions between the North and South. They went through so many different compromises, uh, trying to appease the North and appease the South. But they both wanted different things. You know, North wanted no slavery. Uh, to say, and the South wanted slavery, you know, possibly even the expansion of slavery, and the North wanted no slavery. And they, these compromises, they could only last so long, as we saw later on. I mean, just a couple presidents later with the Civil War. Um, number fourteen, Franklin Pierce, he signed the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which allowed for the expansion of slavery into new territories, and contributed to the increasing tensions between the North and South. Number fifteen, James Buchanan. He failed to take action to prevent the secession of Southern states and the outbreak of the Civil War, which began shortly after he left office. Which brings us to number 16, Abraham Lincoln. He successfully led the Union through the Civil War and signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which freed slaves from the Confederate states. Number 17, Andrew Johnson. He oversaw the Reconstruction of the South after the Civil War and was the first president to be impeached by Congress though he was ultimately not removed from office. Number 18, Ulysses S. Grant, He successfully led the Union to victory in the Civil War and oversaw the passage of the 15th Amendment, which gave African-American men the right to vote. Number 19, Rutherford B. Hayes. He ended Reconstruction and withdrew federal troops from the South, effectively ending the federal government's attempts to protect the rights of African-Americans. Number 20, James A. Garfield. He was assassinated just four months into his presidency, so he did not have a notable accomplishment during his time in office. Number 21, Chester A. Arthur. I think this is the guy. He had a, he had a nice mustache. He had a funny-looking mustache. Uh, I think you should search up a picture of him, too. You know, I liked it. Um, anyways, he signed the Pendleton Civil Service Reform Act, which established a merit-based system for hiring government employees and aimed to prevent political corruption. Number 22, Grover Cleveland. He signed the Interstate Commerce Act, which regulated the railroad industry and established the Interstate Commerce Commission to oversee transportation related issues. Number 23, Benjamin Harrison. He signed the Sherman Antitrust Act, which aimed to promote fair competition and prevent monopolies in the economy. The act was the first federal law to prohibit. Monopolistic business practices and paved the way for future antitrust regulation. Grover Cleveland. Did we just mention Grover Cleveland as the 22nd president? Yes, he is also the 24th president. He is the only president to serve non consecutive terms. So, Grover Cleveland, his second term, he faced a major economic crisis known as the Panic of 1893 and successfully led the country through it with the help of his Treasury, Secretary of Treasury, John Carlyle. Number 25, William McKinley. He led the United States through the Spanish-American War and oversaw the annexation of Hawaii, establishing the United States as a major global power. Number 26, Theodore Roosevelt. Established national parks and conservation policies, broke up monopolies through antitrust regulation, and led the country through the Panama Canal construction. Theo had a funny career, funny presidency, funny political career. You know, I know he gets remembered a lot because he is, I believe, the cousin of FDR. But he had he also had the big stick policy, the big stick diplomacy. And he said, Speak softly and carry a big stick, you will go far. So it's like, don't say much, but you know, show the power. So like in the event of like United States foreign policy crises, you know, we have a big military. You know, we don't need to show we don't need to tell you all about it, but you know, look at us. We're so strong. You know, which i i it's respectable. It is. It really is, you know. But he had an interesting career, and I say that because he became the governor of New York in um, 1899, and you know all the big business people, all those guys. They didn't like him as the governor of New York. They thought he had too much power. So how do you promote a man from governor of New York? How do you make him take a different job but give him less power? What is the job in the United States that can do that? What other job in the vice presidency? So they they pushed him to become vice president. And sure enough, he took it, obviously. But the worst part for those those big businessmen that didn't want him is the fact that William McKinley died in office and he became the president not too long after. So I'm uh, not sure if that worked out too well for him. Anyways, um, next, number 27, William Howard Taft. He established the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, signed the Payne-Aldrich Tariff Act to lower tariffs, and oversaw the enforcement of antitrust laws. Number 28. Woodrow Wilson. He led the United States through World War I, oversaw the passage of the 19th Amendment to the Constitution, granting women the right to vote, and played a key role in establishing the League of Nations, a precursor to the United Nations. Number 29. Warren G. Harding. He oversaw the pre- period of economic growth and signed the Shepard Towner Maternity and Infancy. Protection Act, which provided funding for maternal and child health services. Number 30, Calvin Coolidge. You know, he's he's one of those forgotten presidents. He, um, he was one of those guys, he really believed in the laissez-faire um, economic policy where, you know, you do nothing, the economy will fix itself, and it will take care of itself. So he continued the economic policies of his predecessor, you know, President Harding. And he oversaw a period of prosperity known as the Roaring Twenties and signed the Immigration Act of 1924, which restricted immigration to the United States. He really believed in the government not doing anything, not getting involved in private businesses. You know, there's some that say, you know, this uh, sort of after the Roaring Twenties, it right out of his time, right after his time in office, you know, the Great Depression came. And some say that he kind of let, paved the way for the Great Depression. I don't know if that's exactly true, but right after at uh, president number tw- 31 you had herbert hoover who faced the beginning of the great depression during his presidency and implemented several economic policies aimed at stabilizing the economy uh, but these were largely ineffective which was a problem uh, so then came number 32 fdr franklin d roosevelt he led the united states through the great depression and world war 2 implemented the new deal policies aimed at addressing economic and social issues And played a key role in establishing the united nations number 33 harry truman he led the country through the final stages of the world war ii made the controversial decision to drop atomic bombs on japan oversaw the rebuilding of europe through the marshall plan and initiated the creation of the north atlantic treaty organization nato i believe harry truman was one of the poorest presidents going into and getting out of office Um, number 34 Dwight Eisenhower, he established the interstate highway system and oversaw the desegregation of public schools and the military and played a key role in the civil rights movement. Number 35, JFK, John F. Kennedy. He led the country through the Cold War, initiated the Apollo space program, and played a key role in the civil rights movement before he was assassinated in 1963. Number 36, Lyndon Baines Johnson. He continued the Civil Rights Movement and signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, as well as implementing the Great Society Program aimed at addressing poverty and societal inequality. Number 37, Richard Nixon. He oversaw the withdrawal of U.S. troops from the Vietnam War, established relations with China and resigned from office infamously due to the Watergate scandal. Number 38, Gerald Ford, who was never elected president or vice president, but became the president after Nixon's resignation and his vice president and Nixon's vice president's resignation, Spiro Agnew, and oversaw the pardon of Nixon as well as the policies aimed at improving the economy and reducing inflation. Number 39, Jimmy Carter. President Carter signed the Camp David Accords, which established peace between Israel and Egypt Oversaw the establishment of the Department of Education and faced a major energy crisis during his presidency. Number 40, President Ronald Reagan. He oversaw a period of economic growth, initiated the Strategic Defense Initiative, also known as Star Wars, and played a key role in the end of the Cold War. Number 41, President George H.W. Bush, the first Bush. He led the United States through the Gulf War. Signed the Americans with Disabilities Act into law and implemented policies aimed at addressing issues such as education and the environment. President number 42, Bill Clinton. He oversaw a period of economic growth, signed the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, and played a key role in the Northern Ireland peace process. Number 43, President George W. Bush. He led the country through the 9 11 terrorist attacks. Initiated the war on terror and the invasion of Iraq and signed the No Child Left Behind Act, which aimed to provide education, improve education, really, in the United States as a whole. Now, number 44. We're getting close. President Barack Obama, he signed the Affordable Care Act into law, aimed at providing affordable, sorry, affordable health care for all Americans, led the country through the Great Recession, oversaw the end of the Iraq War, and played a key role in the Iran nuclear deal. President number 45, President Donald Trump. He implemented policies aimed at reducing immigration into the United States, renegotiated trade deals such as NAFTA, and initiated policies aimed at reducing regulation and promoting economic growth. And currently, President number 46, President Joe Biden. President Biden signed a bipartisan infrastructure bill into law in November 2021. The Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, also known as the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill, uh, is a $1.2 trillion package that includes funding for a wide range of infrastructure projects, such as roads, bridges, public transportation, airports, broadband internet, and water system. This infrastructure bill, infrastructure legislation is a thing that many different presidents have been trying to do, and it's long overdue. President Trump tried to do it, President Obama, many different presidents tried to get infrastructure bill passed, but the two sides couldn't come to a complete agreement. But it, it's a, it was an overdue one that didn't take a top priority, but it recently got passed, in my opinion. But, um, so as we can see, you know, each president of the United States has made notable contributions to the country and the world as a whole, you know, because the United States, it is a leader in the global scale. You know, from the founding principles of the country to economic policies, the role of the president has been critical in shaping the course of American history. The accomplishments of each president are testament to the strength and adaptability of the American political system and provide important lessons for future generations to learn from. If you're just tuning in, this is your host, Rohan Mova. And if you're just tuning in, we are talking about democracy and its impact on the world. This show is all about democracy. This is Democracy Appalled, live from 1490 WWPR AM, every Monday at 5 a.m. Eastern. If you have any questions about of what I've said so far, democracy, or anything else throughout this segment, or throughout the show, send us an email at democracyappalled at gmo.com. And we can bring that topic in our next week's session. Remember, that email is democracyappalled at gmo.com. Next, throughout the next couple episodes, I'd like to touch on the next, a couple points. You know, the first one being the history of democracy. Second one being the role of democracy in modern society. Third one being the current state of democracy in the United States. Fourth being the current state of democracy globally. The fifth being the future of democracy. And the sixth being the relationship between democracy and the media. Today, I want to hone in on the history of democracy through many different aspects. So the ancient origins of democracy, so like the development of democratic ideals in ancient Greece, including the concept of citizenship, representation, and direct democracy. So that's what we'll be touching about in when we talk about the ancient origins of the history of democracy. Then we'll move into the modern democratic systems. So that includes many different things like the par- development of parliamentary systems in Europe the spread of democratic ideals uh, during the Enlightenment period, and the impact of the American Revolution on the creation of modern democratic nations. Then we'll go through the history, the, the spread of democracy. So like the growth of democratic movements in the 20th century, the fall and the impact of the fall of the Soviet Union, and the current state of democracy in different regions around the world. And then we'll talk about, briefly touch on populism, polarization, disinformation, globalization, all that sort of things that goes into uh, threatening or promoting a democratic system of government. So let's start off with the ancient origins. So the history of democracy, it can be traced back to ancient times. So with the concept of democratic governance being first developed in ancient Greece, in Athens, a form of direct democracy was established in the 5th century BCE, where male citizens were able to vote on important decisions through the use of assemblies and juries. The idea of citizenship also emerged in ancient Greece, with individuals being recognized as full members of the political community and having the right to participate in democratic decision making. During the Middle Ages and early modern period, most European societies were ruled by monarchies or other forms of authoritarian rule. However, the development of the parliamentary systems in Britain and other European countries marked an important step towards modern democratic governance. The Magna Carta, signed in 1215, established the principle of due process law and limited the power of the monarchy, laying the foundation for parliamentary government. In the 18th century, the spread of democratic ideals during the Enlightenment furthered the development of democratic governance. Political philosophers just such as John Locke and John Jacques Rousseau, you know, I, I know I just butchered his name, but Rousseau uh, advocated for the principles and along with Locke, They both advocated for the principles of popular sovereignty, the idea that power should ultimately reside with the people. This led to the development of new political systems in Europe and the Americas. Uh, This emphasized the importance of representation and citizen participation in government. Looking at democracy today, when you think about representation and citizen participation in government, you know, in last week's show, we brought up the idea that not everybody participates in our democracy. With it having low voter turnout, low participation rates, and the idea that the idea in the Europe and Americas when there was a parliamentary democracy was the importance of representation and citizen participation in the government, and that's something today that continues to perplex us. How do you balance creating an informed society with one that's motivated to vote and one that's uh, one that's um, one that goes out and does it? And that's something that we'll touch on later uh, throughout this show when we touch on popularism, populism, polarization, and so on, because there are different ways to address it. But what is the best way? What is the most suitable? And what is the most possible? Because you can have many different ideas, but executing each one to perfection, not even to perfection, to where it's able to maintain a sustained growth is the most important part. So continuing on, when we came to the American Revolution, the American Revolution, it played a significant role in the development of modern democratic nations. The American Declaration of Independence, which was signed in 1776, established the principles of popular sovereignty and the idea that governments derive their legitimacy from the consent of the governed. Consent of the government, That that consent of the governed. Sorry, I butchered it the first time, but that is such a key piece, consent of the governed. You know, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean you get reelected? Does that mean you have a high approval rating? It's it's but it's the idea that the people choose it's the people's voice and this idea was further codified in the united states constitution which established a federal system of government and a system of checks and balances to limit the power of the executive branch in the 20th century democratic movements gained momentum around the world with many countries transitioning from authoritarian regimes to democratic governance and the fall of the soviet union in 1991 marked a major turning point in the history of democracy with many former Soviet bloc countries adopting democratic systems of government. However, the spread of democracy has not been without challenges, with many countries experiencing setbacks and even reversals of democratic progress in recent years. And one of the countries that we'll look into with democratization or democratic transition, either one you can call it, but one of those that we'll look into today is Libya. It is a crucial example of democratization failure. And we'll look at that, and it's a very interesting thing. But currently, the state of democracy varies widely across different regions in the world. While many countries have established a stable democratic system of government, others continue to struggle with authoritarian rule, corruption, and human rights abuses. Ongoing challenges to democratic governance include the rise of populism, polarization, and disinformation, as well as economic inequality and the effects of globalization. However, the enduring legacy of democratic ideals and the continued effort of democratic movements around the world offer hope for the future of democratic governance. But this comes back to the idea, you know, democracy is not suitable for every single country, you know, it must be on a case by case basis. Some governments, some leadership thrive better under, you know, communist regimes or authoritarian regimes. It's not to say that a country needs to have democracy to have success, but that has been shown to be a little bit more favorable towards success because the people are happier. You know, the the people's voice is being heard fairly, equally with the principles of freedom, equality, and democracy. But the idea is that democracy must have all participants involved for it to be widely successful. Without a wide participation, without wide popularity and wide support, democracy is nothing because democracy is just all the people coming together and putting their voices, letting their voice be heard. Without the people, without the leaders on board there is no democracy. And it's important that while the state of democracy varies widely across regions of the world, some places it's, it's not being suitable. And one of those we'll look at is Libya. No, it's a very interesting example. But in ancient Greece, the city state of Athens is often cited as the, as the earliest example of democratic governments, governance. And if they had, they were a small size of a city state. So it was much easier to have a democracy on that scale on the scale of, you know, a city-state as of Athens. But when America, you know, the United States of America, they created their democracy, it was the first time when a democracy of that scale was even possible. Because the United States, when it expanded from such a far vast, you know, even when it it was just the colonies, uh, those 13 from the East Coast itself, They were so far ranging. You know, this wasn't like Great Britain, uh, which didn't even have a democracy at that time. And it wasn't like, you know, city, state, Athens. This was a whole new concept that, I mean, it wasn't a whole new concept, but you were applying a concept that was done in a very small area into a much, much larger scale. And making that possible was difficult. And it it was the first time, but the people wanted it. The leaders were on board, everybody was endured into this democratic process that makes it great. You know, in the modern times, parliamentary systems of government have become the most popular form of democratic government. You know, you have representative, like the United States, parliamentary, uh, all that sort of good stuff. But, you know, parliamentary, it's, it's a very common one. Britain is probably the most well-known parliamentary form of government, you know. The parliament in Britain, for example, is composed of the House of Commons and the House of Lords, and it's responsible for making laws and holding the government accountable. Similarly, the German, I know I'm going to butcher this name, but it's Bundestag, I believe, and the French National Assembly are examples of parliamentary systems of government, where representatives are elected by the people to make decisions on their behalf. You know, so a parliamentary system of government, it's widespread throughout Europe, it's extremely popular. And it is a system of democratic governance, uh, similar, somewhat similar to the representative government. But the United States time and time again has the farthest reaching democracy. It was built as the farthest reaching continues to be the farthest farthest reaching democracy. And it continues to be one of the most stable democracies in the world. Time and time again, there are threats, there are actions that happen, but it continues to be one of the most stable and long lasting democracies uh, we've seen in modern time. So. When you look at the spread of democratic ideals, one of the major periods of time that the spread of these democratic ideals, so to speak, happened was during the enlightenment. And that had a profound impact on the development of modern democratic nations. So in the United States, the constitution established a system of government that emphasized the importance of representation and the protection of individual rights. The protection of individual rights is something so key to remember because that wasn't originally always afforded in the constitution. And there was a group of group of people that really wanted the Bill of Rights. You know, I believe, you know, if I'm not missing, I believe it was the Anti-Federalists. Correct me if I'm wrong, you know, email me at democracyappalled at com to correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe it was the Anti-Federalists and the Bill of Rights was added to the Constitution in 1791 and established important protections for individual freedoms, such as the freedom of speech and the right to a fair trial. The fall of the Soviet Union in 1991 marked another major turning turning point in the history of democracy, because like I said, many of these former Soviet bloc countries, they became democratic systems of government. You know, before they were they were what a communist nation, authoritarian rule and so on. Right. But then they became democratic systems of government when they split. So this included countries like Poland, Hungary, the Czech Republic. When you transition from a state, when you have a difficult, you know, transition to democracy, it's not always easy. You know, with these countries especially, it wasn't always smooth. And many of these countries, they face challenges such as corruption, economic instability. You know, in recent years, countries such as Russia and Turkey have faced setbacks to democratic governance with the suppression of free speech and the erosion of democratic institutions. Like I said, democracy is all in or all nothing. So the current state of democracy, it varies widely across the different regions of the world. So in some countries such as Norway, New Zealand, democratic governance is strong and extremely stable, with high levels of political participation and strong protection for individual rights. In other countries such as Myanmar and Belarus, democratic governance is weak and authoritarian rule is prevalent. Ongoing challenges to democratic governance include the rise of populism and disinformation. Like I said before, I mean economic inequality, the one of the other ones that is so major is the erosion of trust. In political institution. When you look at it here in the United States itself, you see many, you go, in, let's say you go in and interview uh, people, you know, I'm just making an example, but I assume at least six people, six to seven people would say, I don't trust what's going on in the US Congress. I don't trust what's going on in my state legislature right now. And that erosion of trust in the political institution is a major detriment to democracy and how we're able to put our voices together. Because if the people don't feel their voices being heard. If they don't feel that, you know, the country is getting the consent of the governed, then is there really a true democracy? But all in all, the enduring legacy of the democratic ideals and the continued efforts of democratic movements around the world, they offer hope for the future of democratic governance. But it's only last if you continue to work for it and you continue to get the consent of the governed, you continue to get the um, approval of the people. You continue to, you know, build the trust in the political institution, not erode the trust and create more and more political polarization and less and less uh, excitement about the future. Again, this is Democracy Appalled and I am your host, Rohan Mova. If you're just tuning in, this show is all about democracy and it's Democracy Appalled. This is live from 1490 WWPR AM every Monday at 5 AM. If you have any questions about democracy, anything I've said, email me at democracyappalled at com. Remember, that email is democracyappalled at com. On to the next thing. When we talk about the history, you have to talk about modern democratic systems of government because that is still a key part of how democracy has evolved till today when it comes to the modern system, democratic systems. So this includes, like the like we talked about briefly, the parliamentary systems, the Enlightenment period, and the impact of the American Revolution on the creation of modern democratic nations. And one of the key developments in the development of a modern democratic system was the establishment of a parliamentary system in Europe. And Europe was, you know, it, for a long time, it still is a key player in the, in the global sphere. It, they ruled a lot of the world, right? And these systems of government emerged in the 18th and 19th centuries and are characterized by bicameral legislatures. So, you know, two different houses. So, in the in the UK it was like what, the House of Commons and the House of Lords. You know, in the United States we have a bicameral legislature as well with the House of Representatives and the Senate. And then there's also an executive branch, you know, which many times in a parliamentary system of democracy it's led by a prime minister. Here in the United States we have a representative system of government and the executive branch is led by the president, of course. In a parliamentary system, the legislative branch is responsible for making laws while the executive branch is responsible for implementing them. Very, very, very similar to the United States representative democracy, right? And the United Kingdom, of course, it's cited as a key example of the parliamentary system, like I've said before. And another key example in the history of modern democratic systems was the spread of democratic ideals during the Enlightenment, right? So the Enlightenment was a cultural and intellectual movement that emerged in Europe in the 18th century. And was characterized by a focus on reason, individualism, and human progress. Many Enlightenment thinkers were were advocated, were advocates, and they advocated for the principle of popular sovereignty, the idea that the power should ultimately reside with the people. The French philosopher John Rousseau, you know, I'm I'm pronouncing it wrong, maybe, but John, his full name is John Jacques Rousseau, and he's often cited as a key Enlightenment thinker. And one of his major books, The Social Contract, Rousseau, he argued that the government should be based on the general will of the people, and that the best form of government was a direct democracy. And the American Revolution, it's not to be forgotten. It also had a very significant impact on the development of modern democratic nations. The American Declaration of Independence, which was signed in 1776, this was what established the principle of popular sovereignty. And the idea that governments derive their legitimacy from the consent of the governed, this idea was further, you know, codified by the United States Constitution when they established, you know, the system of checks and uh, balances—not banks, checks and balances—to limit the power of the executive branch and so on. But the American Revolution it also served as a model for other democratic movements, you know, around the world. For example, the Latin American wars of independence, which took place in the early 19th century, were inspired by the ideals. Of the American Revolution and the Enlightenment. These wars resulted in the establishment of several independent nations in Latin America, many of which adopted democratic systems of government. The development of modern democratic systems was shaped by a range of historical and intellectual factors. The establishment of the parliamentary systems in Europe, the spread of democratic ideals during the Enlightenment, and the impact of the American Revolution on the creation of modern democratic nations all played a key role in shaping the course of democratic governance in the modern era. And the Enlightenment is not something to be taken lightly because one of the key things that sparked the American Revolution was Thomas Paine's book, Common Sense. You know, Thomas Paine, was he was another influential author and reformer. And he basically pointed out that, you know, the United States, they need independence from England and they need the creation of a democratic republic. And he he gave it very clearly to the American public. You know, this was somewhat of like a pamphlet, book. And he gave it very clearly. And this is one of the major things, you know, circulated throughout the United States that inspired Americans to revolt and have the American Revolution, you know, against their common judgment, because, you know, at the heart, these guys were British people. They didn't want to revolt against their home country, but because they did, it sparked the idea and the democratic ideals that continue to spread and have shaped the course of democratic governance, you know, in the modern era and have evolved tremendously. You know, I'd like to continue on to the spread of democracy. So the growth of democratic movements in the 20th century, the impact and the fall of the Soviet Union, and the current state of democracy in different regions of the world. The 20th century was a period of significant growth for democratic movements around the world. The aftermath of World War II saw the establishment of many new democracies in Europe, as well as the decolonization of many countries in Africa and Asia. The spread of democracy was also fueled by the Cold War as the United States and the Soviet Union competed for influence in different parts of the world. The fall of the Soviet Union in 1991 marked a major turning point in the history of democracy. Many former Soviet bloc countries adopted democratic systems of government, like I've said previously. Um, And today, those democracies, they vary widely. You know, some are strong, some are stable, some are weak, some have high corruption. Uh, And in some areas like Asia and the Middle East, you know, it's much weaker, much more fragile. With the history of authoritarian rule and limited protection for individual rights, it makes it much harder. You know, one of the places that doesn't get talked about enough is Africa. In Africa, many countries have made significant progress towards establishing democratic governance in recent years. For example, Ghana and Senegal have established strong democratic systems of government with regular elections and a vibrant civil society. However, other countries in the region, such as Sudan and Ethiopia, continue to struggle with political instability and authoritarian rule. In Latin America, Many countries have a history of democratic governance, but have faced challenges such as economic inequality and political corruption. In recent years, countries such as Brazil and Venezuela have experienced setbacks to democratic governance with the erosion of democratic institutions and the suppression of political opposition. Last week, we talked about Brazil briefly with Jair Bolsonaro and his uh, attempts to overturn the election, not step out of office and so on. But overall, I mean, the current state of democracy, it's, it's very complex and very, very, very varied. Because there are so many different countries facing ongoing challenges to the democratic governance. And there's so many different things that go into each one. Because the rise of populism, polarization, and disinformation, economic inequality, and the effects of globalization, they pose challenges. They pose uh, hope for the stability and effectiveness of democratic systems of government. However, I mean, the legacy of democratic ideals will always remain constant. As it evolves, the foundations remain mostly intact. We're running out of time on this week's show to expand on the challenges of the rise of populism, polarization, disinformation, economic inequality, everything that goes into the threats of democratic systems of governance and the uh, hope for it. You know, we're running out of time this week to talk about it. But tune in next week because we will be talking about populism, polarization, globalization, disinformation, um, the importance of journalism in restoring our democracy and more. But right now, I'd like to take us to Libya. The political situation in Libya remains fragile and the security situation remains dangerous and unpredictable. Uncertainty about when postponed Libyan elections will take place is likely to heighten tensions throughout the country, which may lead to security incidents such as inter-militia classes or oil blockades. Libya has been facing a challenging political and security situation since the fall of former dictator Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. Currently there are two main competing governments in the country, one based in the eastern city of Tobruk and the other in the capital city of Tripoli. This has led to an ongoing conflict and instability, with various armed groups and militias vying for power and control. The postponement of Libyan elections, which were originally scheduled to take place in December 2021, has added to the uncertainty and potential for further conflict. The delay has been attributed to logistical challenges and disputes over the electoral process including concerns about voter registration and the formation of a new electoral commission. The situation is further complicated by the presence of foreign actors in the country, including regional powers such as Turkey and Egypt, as well as non-state actors like mercenary groups. These actors have been accused of exacerbating the conflict and contributing to the instability in the country. In addition to the political and security challenges, Libya also faces economic challenges, with a heavily oil dependent economy that has been impacted by the ongoing conflict and instability, the combination of these factors makes for a complex and difficult situation in Libya, and the future remains extremely uncertain. The process of democratization in Libya has been a slow and difficult one, marked by setbacks and challenges. Following the fall of a longtime dictator in Mohammed Gaddafi in uh, 2011, Libya embarked on a path towards democratic governance. But the country has struggled to establish a stable and effective democratic system. In the years following Gaddafi's overthrow, Libya has held several elections and referendums, including the election of a uh, transitional government in 2012 and the adoption of a new constitution in 2014. However, these efforts have been undermined by the ongoing conflict and instability, which has made it difficult for democratic institutions to take root and function effectively. But where does all this instability stem from? Well, it started with the Libyan revolution in 2011. And the United States played a significant role in the event that led to the fall of former Libyan dictator, Muammar Gaddafi, in 2011. And this was the United States' way of trying to involve itself in other politics, um, you know, try to gain a greater global setting, you know, promote democracy, freedom, and so on. So they, they definitely thought they were doing the right thing. And in February of that year of 2011, a popular uprising against Gaddafi's regime began and the U.S. government, along with other international actors, provided support to the rebels. And the U.S. involvement in Libya began with a campaign of airstrikes and missile strikes in March 2011, aimed at weakening Gaddafi's military forces and protecting civilians. This campaign was a part of a broader international intervention led by NATO, which included a no-fly zone and an arms embargo. The U.S. also provided significant political and diplomatic support to the rebels, recognizing the National Transitional Council, NTC, as a legitimate government of Libya, and providing aid and assistance to the council. The U.S. also played a role in securing U.N. resolutions supporting the intervention in Libya and authorizing the use of force to protect civilians. After Gaddafi was overthrown, the U.S. continued to provide assistance to the NTC. If you forgot what the NTC is... It's a National Transitional Council that's their legitimate government of Libya and the supported efforts uh, to establish a democratic government in Libya were really helped by the United States continuing to provide assistance. However, the situation in Libya remained unstable and the country has faced ongoing conflicts and political challenges in the years since Gaddafi's downfall. More recently, the U.S. has played a role in diplomatic efforts to resolve the conflict in Libya including supporting a UN-led peace uh, process and urging all parties to negotiate a ceasefire and work towards a political solution. So really, the instability has been going on for more than a decade. And the US has continued to provide humanitarian aid and assistance to the Libyan people, uh, particularly those affected by the ongoing conflict. And one of the major challenges to a democratization in Libya has been the lack of strong and effective state institutions, including a functioning judiciary, police force, and military. Instead, various armed forces and groups like militias have filled the power vacuum. So after, you know, there's such a lack of leadership within Libya, all the armed forces and the militias, they're taking control. You know, when you see an opportunity, you take it. And they often operate outside of any legal framework, With their own agendas and interests in mind, another major challenge to democratization in Libya has been the role of external factors, particularly regional powers such as Turkey, Egypt, and the UAE—you know, the United Arab Emirates—who have provided support to various factions and militias in the country. This has further complicated the political landscape and made it difficult for Libyans to forge a unified and stable government. Despite these challenges, there are still many Libyans are committed to the democratic process and continue to work towards a more stable and democratic future. The ongoing efforts to hold elections and establish a unified government, as well as the work of a civil society organizations and activists, are positive steps toward a more democratic Libya. However, the road ahead remains long and challenging, and will require sustained effort and support from the international community, as well as Libyans themselves. So is democratization a success in Libya? That's why this whole process was started, you know, the overthrow of Gaddafi, you know, the U.S. getting involved. It was the idea that democracy and freedom must be restored in Libya. But the idea that democratization has been a success in Libya is basically, in my opinion, false because democratization has not been a success in Libya. The country has faced significant challenges in its efforts to establish a stable and democratic government, an ongoing conflict and instability have hindered greatly the development of effective democratic institutions and processes since the fall of the since the fall of Gaddafi in 2011 Libya has struggled to establish any sort of groundwork stable or anything that can provide their citizens some hope for the future some excitement for the present you know the country has had several elections and referendums but there's nothing that happens from these elections and referendums it's either corruption economic instability, you know, postponement of the elections. These efforts have been undermined by an ongoing conflict, you know, the ongoing conflict within Libya, within different militant groups and ineffective state institutions. In addition to the challenges within Libya, the role of external actors has also complicated the democratization process. Regional powers such as Turkey, Egypt and the UAE They've provided so many uh, so much support to various factions and militias, and that's that's even more complicating the already complicated political landscape. So it's hard for Libya to forge its own future when it's being pushed around by every other country uh, trying to insert their own voice, insert their own influence. But overall, there has been some positive steps. You know, it's not all bad, but there is a lot bad such as the ongoing efforts to hold elections and establish a unified government. These efforts have not yet been successful in achieving a stable and democratic state. The road ahead remains long and challenging, and it will require sustained effort and support from the international community, as well as many, all the Libyans themselves. Like I always say, democracy is something where you have to be all in or all out. Right now, Libya is not all in. And to get there, they need to have the support from all the Libyans, Continued support for them building their own future, rather than international actors continuing to meddle in their business. So the question again, is democracy appalled this week? Well, it is President's Day today. And throughout that, America has been changing its story, rewriting history, and continuing to forge the paths set forth. When it comes specifically to Libya, democracy is appalled. It really is because Libya for many, many years has been working to create, uh, create. I say create in air quotes because it's, it's difficult for them to create their own path because the United States has tried to insert its influence. Other international actors have tried to insert its influence. So has Libya really even had the opportunity to forge their own path to create a democracy? Can any of this previously even be considered as Libyans working towards creating their own democracy? Or is it the United States inserting themselves in situations where they're not needed and pushing forward a path of democracy where democracy cannot be achieved because all the actors are not on board? Because again, Libya is Libya. The United States is the United States. Libya is not the United States. There are different uh, situations. But when it comes to Libya, democracy is appalled because democracy wants you to be all in. And Libyans aren't all in, you know, they're not able to forge their own path. So I'd say democracy is appalled in this certain situation. This is your host, Rohan Mova. And if you're um, just tuning in, we're actually just ending. We're talking about democracy and its impact on the world. And this show is all about democracy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Democracy Appalled. And again, I'm your host, Rohan Mova, live from 1490 WWPR AM, every Monday at 5 a.m. Eastern. Catch us right here every Monday at 5 a.m. Next week, we'll be right here. If you have any questions about democracy or anything that we've said throughout this whole episode, please send me an email at democracyappalled at gmo.com. And I'll be sure to bring that topic in our next week's session. Remember, that email is democracyappalled at gmo.com. In next week's episode, we'll take a look into another country. If you have a suggestion, again, email us at democracyappalled at gmo.com. You know, In next week's episode, like I said, we'll look into another country. We'll expand on the role of democracy in the modern society, current affairs, and more. And I know I didn't get a chance to finish what I was saying about polarization, populism, globalization, when it comes to democratic processes. So we'll definitely get into that as well. Again, tune in right here, live on 1490 WWPR AM, every Monday at 5 a.m. Eastern. And I'll be right here to give you the rundown of democracy, its current state in the world, its evolution and everything you want to know about democracy. Thank you. And again, thanks for listening to Democracy Appalled, and I'm your host, Rohan Mova. Happy President's Day.